We apologize for this brief interruption in the show. As many of you likely know, the Higher Standard Podcast is officially sponsored by Transcend Company. Transcend has been my longtime provider for both testosterone and peptide therapies, but they offer so much more. Whether you're interested in health, wellness, or longevity, it all begins with you getting your blood work done. A lab draw will help you get the numbers and establish your baseline. You can go to transcendcompany.com slash THSP. That's transcendcompany.com slash THSP. Or you can click the link in the show notes on any streaming platform and on YouTube. Fill out your information and one of the representatives will contact you to get your journey started today. Now back to the show. Well, um, Shall we? Yeah. The uh, first uh, energy drinks of the new year. Yeah. It's a very symbolic moment for us. <laughs> There you go. There you go. In a tribute to the one and only Arun, who is also on PTO. Uh, be, <laughs> we can't make this up. There's got to be more shows of of us talking about him on PTO than there is of him here talking about how he wasn't on PTO. I wouldn't be surprised if we started getting some job applications. We got hey, to. Like, I'm going to work 75% of the time. It's, it's still a solid effort. <laughs> exactly. Jesus. Oh, man. So it isn't actually uh, New Year's yet for us, but it will be for the listeners that tune into this episode. So by the time you hear us, we hope you had a wonderful and happy New Year. And safe that, one, uh, too. Yeah, safe, all the safety stuff. Yeah. I don't, you know what? I was telling my wife the other day, um, Joanna and I were talking. We're like, look, um, I don't really know anybody. Who, I mean, maybe it's the age thing. Yeah. But I don't really know anybody who's out partying like they used to be. Like for pre-COVID New for New Year's. For yeah. New Year's, yeah. It's, it's, for me, first of all, I get, I'm like scared about driving on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Like, dude, it's I, I it's the it's the worst, right? Especially because there's like, you know, rain and you I can't trust anybody on the road. Especially like people like you. The rain thing. Yeah. Curveball. Really? Slippery bro. People are down on their cash. You know they haven't renewed their tires. Come oh, on. It, wow. Why that? Come on. There's all those tires are bald. You never do that when I park in a parking lot and I just I just walk by and I'm looking at all the cars. I'm just checking out tires. I'm like, damn, bro, you got. No, that sounds like some shit some dude in a palazzo would do. Because I, <laughs> wow. got, I, got, I got to be honest with you, I don't, I don't judge a man by the baldness of his tires. Really? I don't, no, it's not a man, a man and woman. What do you mean? I don't judge a woman or I don't care what they are. I'm not judge judging. I'm, just, I'm saying I'm like they're overdue. If, if you're looking at people's tires like that, you're judging. It's scary. That's me. the whole point. Oh, my dad's a mechanic growing up, so this is stuff that I saw oh, all the time. That is such a good save. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I grew, I grew up at a shop. Yeah, no, that's fine. And the irony is you have no mechanical skills yourself. Zero. <laughs> like, how does that happen? Exactly. How does that happen? Yeah. Meanwhile, my dad has zero mechanical skills whatsoever. I mean, terrible. He's like, mm -hmm. He'll get into any kind of project, whether it's home renovation or, like, car. In, like, two minutes, he's like, fuck this, and he gets mad, and he walks away. Yeah. But me, I can actually work on those things. Yeah, it's like your sanctuary. You, It's like you find peace there. Yeah. For a long time, when I, when I was single, before, you know, kids and responsibilities and everything else, I, ha I always had, like, a classic car in the garage, and I would just go in, and, like, that's what I would do. Just start messing with stuff. Just take it apart. You'll figure out how to put it together. Or you won't, you know? <laughs> you can just pay somebody to do it. No. Uh, the problem is when you take it apart, even if you label it, like, well, like, most people don't want to put it back together for you. Really? Yeah, it's a problem. I found that out the hard way. I thought the exact same thing the first project I did, and I was like, oh, I'll just pay somebody. And I tried to pay someone, and they're like, nope. No. Not going to do it. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like a filing system. <laughs> if they don't co collate and file their documents their own way, they don't want to fuck your shit because they're like, I can't find anything here. Get the fuck out of here. Is it like organized chaos for them? Some dude, the first like real mechanic shop that I worked with for like a car build, um, I don't want to mention their name because it's gonna sound bad. They were the most fucking disorganized people I've ever. I mean, shit was everywhere, 
And I'm like, there's like other people's project cars, and they're all like the kind of the same like vintage. Like they were, this was a JDM project, Japanese uh, vintage Japanese car. Yeah. And I'm like, there's no fucking way they're gonna find all my shit. Right. They, I mean, he would fucking take shit apart, and like, he, so I once gave him a pair of LED lights from a company company called Dapper Lighting. Ben, who owns Dapper Lighting, listens to the show. Shout out to Ben. Shout out to Ben. And um, so he takes apart the entire like lighting system. And like breaks it down, gets into the bulbs, gets into the wiring, and I'm like, "What the fuck, bro? All you had to do was build a harness and plug it in." Yeah, yeah. He's like, "I want to see how it worked." So I come there, and things like all spread out. I'm like, "There's no fucking way he's gonna pull this shit back together." Yeah, dude. When he delivered the car, everything was put back together. I couldn't believe it. It's not. It's not just shops like that, man. Just even mechanic shops somewhere like this. Yeah, I know, dude. It's. It, I mean, it's incredible. It's got to be like an artistic mindset or something. Yeah. They take a pause on this brand and go over here and work on something else. And it's just... It's just got to be like their process. Yeah. Like, it's just weird to me. Like, I could not function that way at all, no, bro. I'd lose no, my no, fucking no. mind. No. You know what my guilty pleasure is? Mm. This is getting intimate now. Uh -oh. I'm sharing personal details with you and the audience. And I want you to know this is me opening up to you. Oh, God. And this is you accusing me down the road of not, not doing, doing it. You don't do it. <laughs> you don't do it. You don't share. Um, on my Instagram feed, one of my pet, like, passions is... Besides archaeology, is um, I love watching people take apart like cars on like their Instagram stories or YouTube's. Oh, okay. And like putting all different types. Like I'm watching a guy right now who I watched a guy who did a Porsche not too long ago. Who got who actually went viral, so everybody's watching him. Yeah. He did it as like an art installation, and now I'm watching a guy do like a vintage Range Rover in his in his garage. Oh, okay. And he's just filming like these short like thirty second clips. I just love it. Really? Can't get enough. Wow. Okay. It's like. My my guilty pleasure right now is listening to these dads break down like hacks on how to bond with your kids better. Bro, why do you why do you gotta <laughs> sell this shit like this? I'm just being like, honest, man. That's not honest. I dude. swear to God, that's, that's, I'll show you. That's right not now. a guilty pleasure, bro. There's nothing guilty about that. That's like I just love I just love listening to it. You know, guys, I hate technique. being the world's greatest father. Ha <laughs> ha That's so not what I'm, <laughs> 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 what I'm saying. I mean, that that's my algorithm. It's all like dad stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh huh. I swear. What about on your burner account? But I don't have a burner account. I barely have the higher standard account on here as That's well. That's all Jody High Roller and like <laughs> Jody High Jamaican Roller. rap. Oh, <laughs> That's all that is? Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, uh, now might be a good time to say, hey, welcome back to the number one financial literacy podcast in the world. Sitting next to me, my partner in time, the world's greatest dad. Oh, Side Omar. Guy, here we go. Sitting next to me on my left is my partner in crime, also the world's greatest dad, Chris Nahibi. Doesn't make it any better. Yeah. And um, sitting behind the ones and twos, we got DJ Nobody. <laughs> There's nobody waving. Although he looks skinnier today than he's ever looked in a while. <laughs> That's fucked up. You can't make it. it's not it's not nice to make fun of him when he's not here. You can only we can only do it when he's here. No, he's not here a lot, man. If I don't make fun of him when he's not here, I mean it's gonna be so rare. Yeah. So uh yeah, he's on uh extended PTO this time, multiple weeks now. I think this is gonna be it for a while. I have a feeling. He's got he's I mean the holidays, you know, he had to go up there and visit them. Bro, you were over promising and underperforming in this one. Bro, his in his, his in-laws live his, for for the record, so everybody knows his in-laws live up north in the Bay Area. So, you know, for the holidays, he, they had to go up there. He's being a good husband, man. No, I'm not, I'm not judging the good husband status. I I'm just like, saying, I you feel know, like you are. He's being a great husband, a good father, and a shitty podcast producer. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> 
when was the last time you heard an episode of Joe Rogan? And Jamie's like, oh, hey, man, I'm going to be off next month. Yeah. Don't have very often. Doesn't have very often, if at all. Yeah. Uh, if my voice sounds a little different, and I think it does, I'm trying to I'm sound a little stuffy. Uh, I am uh, getting over a raging case of the flu. Yes, raging case sounds a lot like And herpes. I'm risking my life being yeah. here because yeah. I did not get the flu no, shot. No, I'm better. I didn't get the flu shot either. This, actually, this year I, it was the first year I, I didn't get it because my. This is a long, convoluted story, but I found out my mom got legitimate blood clots from the COVID vaccine. Scary. FDA visited her. This is not like a conspiracy theorist thing. This is mm -hmm. like, this happened to her. It's my mom. She's been on blood thinners her entire life. And ever since hearing that about a year ago, year and a half ago, because she almost died. I've been very concerned about any kind of vaccine because obviously her genetics are the same as my genetics. And if she reacted that way from just her biology, mm -hmm. there's a possibility that I could react that way. Yeah. So like just now in general vaccines, like wig me out. My wife though got uh, the flu vaccine this year and my son got one. They both had the flu in the house first because they were, you know, patient zero. Yeah. They, they had, it was like nothing. It was a couple of days of coughing, yeah, no big yeah. deal. I got it. And it was like, I got kicked in the ding ding. I've been down for three days. Man. I sound like this. Yeah. Not a good, not a good look for me. Not a good look. We'll yeah. power through. And I'm risking my life being here. You're not risking your life. I'm better now. I don't know, man. You don't look what a whole lot better. I don't look good. I know. Usually, like, I'm sexy as fuck. It's also, this is, yeah. a, this is a real treat for the listeners. Why is that? It's, uh, it's before noon. Yeah, this is a Saturday episode. We're going to be fired today. <laughs> we no room to get in the way and make bullshit comments. It's perfect. <laughs> Pulling up people. I'm pulling, taking. Pulling up Jessica Dickler's photo. Yeah, we need some more Dickler. <laughs> yeah. She's getting free shout outs on the show. You know, one day she's going to become like a major person in the media. And it's going to be in part because we've endorsed her brand. Uh, if she doesn't send us a bottle, I'm going to be. Oh, shit. I didn't bring. You know, I got a. Damn it. I got a bottle of McKaylin 12 I bought like two weeks ago to bring in here. Oh, well, we're not and, drinking it before noon. Well, I'm not, not we're today. not We're not degenerates. We are degenerates, but. Yeah, we are degenerates. <laughs> so, but no, no, I was. I just keep bringing to bring it to the studio, and I leave it. It's in my backpack. I've been rolling around with it in my backpack. We'll, we'll celebrate when Odin. You know who back. else does that? Alcoholics. I got to get it out of my backpack. <laughs> That's the problem. It's a bad look, bro. It's been in my backpack Pe for like people a week. standing around you trying to open your backpack. You're like, fuck, my bro. God. I went to the gym. It was in my gym. My bag. Oh I went my to the gym. god! Because I use the same backpack because I have all my food in there, and everything else, and my you know my 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 work and all my like, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I have that executive locker in the gym. So I pulled it out to put it in because my backpack wouldn't smush down and fit in there. Yeah. And some guy's like, is that a bottle of whiskey? I'm like, yeah. He's like, in your gym locker? And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then we need to rethink this whole gym thing, man. And then I went to the office and it was in my bag. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, man. Oh, uh, man. No, nah, it was a gift. I'm like, why is it in your bag when you just got here? Yeah. And I'm like, I, I just didn't take it out last night. And they're like, uh-huh. It's closed, though. It's not open. Bro, people look at me weird now. They give me that side eye. Like, no wonder why he's quiet in the afternoons. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's like, I swear to God, I'll... It's crazy, though. You, like, how many years ago were people, like, drinking in the office? Like, after hours? Oh, obviously. dude. Even, even... Like, 15? 15, 16 years ago, say. it was still pretty common. Like, you would go into the office, and towards the end of the day... Crack open a couple of beers, have some whiskey, especially in the banking sector, man. It's like they had like even like a little wine bar in like the C suites, right? Oh yeah. Well, Scott, you know, CEO, he still has wine behind him that are gift bottles, like, you know, but it's yeah. more like a Well wine's different. I'm saying they, they would have like like whiskey. Yeah, back in the day you would have like a bar in your office. Mm hmm Yeah. And and I I I kind of came into the working world where that was kind of coming out of like a prominence, but it was still very much visible. 
But yeah, I mean, even during my early working days, you know, 16 years ago, 17 years ago, like that was a thing. Yeah. On Thursday, Friday nights, if you were working late, you know, you would be opening up whiskey and drinking at the desk. Yeah, that was that was one of the, one of the things about the house that we bought too, right? Mm -hmm. The home was built in the seventies, so it had uh, like the wet bar. It, ha it had a it has a wet bar. Yeah. And wife and I were like, okay, well, we drink, but we don't like showcase it like as out there like that because we didn't want to showcase it for the kids, right? Like, just look up to this. But so we turned it into like a little coffee station, yeah. right? Like, so we repurposed it. But I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Yeah. I look at it like you got to des desensitize kids anyway. Well, they see us drink. It's not, I'm not saying. We don't show them that we drink. It's just I'm not trying to, like, put it on a pedestal. No. I mean, I get that. Yeah. Besides, I kind of like the idea of a coffee bar. I wish we had one. I want a, I want a coffee slash, like, protein shake bar. Gangster. You know, because I'm actually in shape and you're not. 2024, new year, new me, baby. Is that the, is that the resolution? Are we yeah. doing this? Yeah. I'm getting a workout in right after this. Can't you tell? Fun fact. No. Is that workout attire? <laughs> this is, yeah. Yo, I got an embarrassing thing to admit to. And I, and I don't want to do this early in the show because I can tell this shit's going to go sideways on me later on. More detail. Okay, grain of salt, all right? I've been sick for a while. All right. Hadn't slept. I went a full night not sleeping. because I, I couldn't sleep. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. I was going to finally go to sleep. My son woke up, so I didn't sleep. So um, I'm not a big fan of Fabletics. Oh, okay. Kevin right. Hart endorses them. They require, like, this you know monthly membership thing, like, minimum fee of, like, 60 bucks, something like that. Mm -hmm. You can waive it. I don't really understand logistics of how it works, so don't anybody get at me with DM saying, like, oh, you know, but basically they charge you 60 bucks a month. You can, in the first to the fifth of the month, you can skip it. You can use that money towards credit to buy something, but it basically incentivizes you to buy, like, every month, I guess. And, but if you're a member and you pay this, your prices drop dramatically, like, from, like, 80 bucks to, like, 14 bucks or, like, 15 bucks, like, crazy nothing, right? Okay. They had this special, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they, they reduced, like, there's no, like, fee to start. It wound up costing me, like, 50 bucks for, like, a full set, you know, like a sweatsuit kind of set thing. And it was a good deal. It was, like, it was, like, 40-something bucks plus tax and everything else and shipping. It was, like, 50 bucks. I was, like, all right, whatever. And I'll just cancel next month. And I bought it because Kevin Hart looked good wearing it. He's, he's, he's pretty lean, man. No, no, it's, it's a full hoodie and, like, pants. I wasn't looking at his physique. But thank you for noticing the man's physique. That's, that's, that's yeah. very... Proper. You can't. You can't come at me with that. Yes, I can, Mister Physique Competition. <laughs> <laughs> I do. That's a story for to, another to day. This, to this day, you were. Wait, let me get this right. You were posing for another man on camera, trying to teach you how to pose. Bro, I had another man loop me up before I went on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get that pre pre stage glow, brother. <laughs> this is after two days of spray tanning and not taking a shower the night before because you got spray tan on. Yeah, that... Trust me. I feel that's like that's the a whole, nasty ass I, dark side of I feel business. like that's, that's a whole experience that's worth breaking down in the future for anyone that cares to hear it because it's like, not a lot of people get privy to all that backstage stuff. I'll tell you, man, I got into... I got into it. Like, I committed to doing it without fully understanding what the day of was like. I'll tell you this much. I could do any of that again. Like, I have the discipline to eat that way. I could... I could certainly work out that way. I still work out that way to this day. I could do all the things that went in the prep. I could even do the peak week stuff right before. What's I could do all week, that. What do you mean peak week stuff? So you really start to kind of drill down on your water, your sodium intake, your carbohydrate intake. Carbohydrates oh. typically hold water in. So you're really trying to manage water weight and your, kind of your overall aesthetics. Okay. But it's generally a really difficult week because not only is your, your training kind of coming to its conclusion, but you're also a little bit under calorie. You've got... Your carbs are super low, and you're kind of dialing in the details. And based on your coach and your experience and your body, you're going to figure out different ways to make your body look its most presentable day of the show. Got it. 
all you should really care about whenever you do any kind of this physique stuff is day of the show. People obsess on looking like these guys on social media every single day. Yeah, that's not feasible. Right? But what I didn't know was the shit you do to get ready for a show, I mean, there's no other way to put this, is questionable. What do you mean? It, it is not normal shit. And you don't think about it because you just see, like, people on Instagram. Yeah. Show. Right. You don't see that backstage shit. Okay. Okay, so. Like the spray tanning the night before, that kind of stuff? Okay, first of all, I, this might be obvious to some people. I paid for a spray tan because I was told to, but I didn't do the due diligence and research to figure out, like, you shouldn't do your face. Oh, my God. Your face won't match, but you should have, like, makeup for your face so that your face is matte, not glossed, nobody, right? Nobody gave you that? No, nah, man, I was doing this alone. Like, I wasn't in a crew. You know, I had a coach, and the coach was a great coach, and he was amazing, but he expected me to know some of these things. Like, he's, he's there to get my body dialed in, and he did. But all the rest of it, like, you know, that wasn't him. So they ask you, like, do you want to tan your face? And some people do. And, you know, it's not like it's bad for everybody, but you don't know how you're going to look. So you do, like, a spray tan the night before. I walk into a room, and there's just naked dudes. There's a, they, someone told me to bring a sock, and I thought they were joking. Like, ha, 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 bring a sock. No, 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 no. You walk into a room, there's somebody else getting a spray tan. and Like, they're, like, literally bringing you in. You're watching somebody else get a spray tan. The dude literally had a sock over, you know. Wait, but hold on. I thought the one, the photos that I saw of you, you were in board shorts. Yeah, yeah. But so some other people are in, like, that Speedo look? Well. Everybody's getting a spray tan. You don't want to like spray tan up to your knee, right? Yeah, but so you could wear like some boxer briefs. Like, yeah, nobody really did that though. <laughs> Damn, that's committed. Yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> nobody really did that though. I mean, I'm, I'm sure people do, but keep in mind, like, if anything you wear that gets spray tan on it, it's yeah. it's gone. And then how long does that last for? So it'll wash off. It's not like a permanent thing. It, it'll wash off. Like a majority of it, you mean? Yeah. So you actually can't shower that night. So now you go in, right? Like, yeah, you, you, so that night you have to sleep on your own bed sheets because you can't sleep in the hotel ones because you'll stain them with your spray tan. That's what I was going to say. So, like, what? You got to bring your own sheets? Typically, most people bring their own sheets, right? Then the next morning, you go back for a double dose of spray tan. Oh, my God. Yeah, you go back for a second coat. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. the first one's the primer. Yeah, and then you get the, you know, the, pe the paint color. Damn, son. Yeah. So now you got two days. No shower, and this is the day most people will have something that you know gives them kind of some kind of like I guess like fulfillment. So you'll have like uh, coffee and some type of carbohydrate. It'll it'll kind of puff you up a little bit and mm -hmm. give you a little more volume before you go on your show. But then you think, okay, you go on stage, you know, you win. No, 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 no. Before you go on stage, there's a pump up room where you get pumped up, like you lift yeah, some I weights. Gonna, I was gonna say, so is there weights or is there bands? Like, what is it? There's weights, there's bands. People have different different ways of doing this. Some 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 events will have bands. Some events will have weights. Some events you bring your own. I mean, most people just bring their own stuff, and they hope they have other stuff there too. Okay. Right. But you talk to people, but it's really catty because they're competing against you. So they they're like, some of them are trying to mind fuck you, and some of them are just like you know newbies. Some people just don't want to talk to anybody. They have earphones in, trying to get in the moment. And I'm like, this is not a basketball game, bro. Yeah. This, like but, we're not gonna go out there and like you know have Eminem playing in the background and like start getting at it, you know? Yeah, Nelly. Yeah, this is just us going on the stage, like. But everybody's looking at each other. There's a lot of ego. Dude, there's, I mean, a lot of time. I mean, how long is a a standard like prep, like start to finish? Uh, for me, it was always ninety days. Some guys do it in like sixty. They start prepping. Right, prepping for a show. Yeah. Oh yeah, ninety I, days. I would think it'd be longer. Damn. No, no, I did mine. In, I think my first one was ninety days. Wow. Okay. Um, it was. I picked the first one I did. I think it was. I think my first show was in 
was like the beginning of February, and it was like all the way through Christmas and New Year's. Yeah, that's that was a, crazy tough. I mean, even then, like even if even if it was sixty days though, that the thing that people don't realize about these shows is like the dedication. It's like I feel like the gym time's the easy part. The easiest part and the most enjoyable. It's it's yeah, it's the twenty three hours or the twenty two hours outside of that. It's the sleep. It's it's getting in the calories. Yeah. Right? Because you don't want to be on the unhealthy side where at the tail end when you're cutting, right? You're down to like a thousand calories. You're like, oh, that's unhealthy. You you want to work your way to the point where you're still eating reasonably. Yeah. And, and generally a good coach will try to like find a good balance of upping your cardio and then keeping your calories there. Cause obviously the more cardio you have, the more calories you can eat. Yeah. Before they start cutting calories back. And usually they don't necessarily cut calories, it's more like cutting down your carbs and giving you a little more fat. Yeah. It depends on how your body responds though. That's the problem is a lot of people will think about diets like Atkins or, you know, paleo, whatever, all these diets. And they go, oh, this worked for that person. It should, it should work for me. No carnivore. That's yeah. where a lot of this conflict comes online. I truly believe that certain diets work better for certain people. And there's a, there is a physiological difference in how your body responds to, to, to things and mine will. Yeah. Yeah. Like you could be a lot less carbs, insulin resistant and carb sensitive than me. Yeah. That's the problem is a lot of people will be like, oh, this diet's the best in the world because this guy says it and everybody should follow because it, it works so well for me. It's amazing. And it's like, or maybe his physiology and his lifestyle works for that and your physiology and your lifestyle works for that. But you telling everybody to do that is kind of bullshit because my physiology and my lifestyle might not work for that. Yeah. The only common thread should be is like the, pro the amount of protein intake, right? Whether, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, whether your body responds better to fats or better to carbs. That's, it's all whatever. Yeah, it's all but anyways, long story short, before you go on the stage, right, you pump up a little bit. So now you're sweating. So two days. No shower. Oh my god! This sounds two spray tans. Disgusting. Sweating, and then before you go on stage, somebody lubes you up like a turkey with Crisco butter, right? Because you look kind of brownish like a turkey, and then they lube you up before you go get because you got to look glossy before you get out there. You smack your ass before you go out there. Yeah, pretty much, right? <laughs> get after. So you get sprayed up. This is like basically baby oil, right? So now, two days, no shower, mm -hmm. spray tans both days, sweaty, lubed up, go on the stage. Pose, look like a jackass. So let me get started. You walk out on stage. Are there judges and there's like an auditorium of people sitting there looking at you as well? Yes. Or is it just a panel of judges? No, no. It's open seating. Yeah. Was, was it packed or was it like empty? Well, the, the first one that I did was. It would be so depressing bro, if it was empty. <laughs> the first one that I did was was relatively crowded in the first part, but it gets packed at night. So that, that's the problem is now you're sitting in all that stuff for two days, being lubed up, mm -hmm. sweaty, the whole thing, go on stage. You got to wait hours to figure out if you make the callback to come back on stage and compete for the top five. And if you do, hours later, so usually this takes place in the you know, morning, kind of mid-afternoon. Yeah. And then the finals will take place at night, mm -hmm. which means you sit around all day long. This is crazy. For the full second day. Being lubed up, all this shit, mm. and you just wait. And then if you go out, you got to pump up again, lube up again, and get back on stage again. Right. And you can't really eat a whole lot during this time. I mean, you might have some rice cakes and some peanut butter, stuff like that. Just keep your levels up. But you can't make too many adjustments until I can go to In-N-Out. So the first show I did, I got so frustrated that I just left and went straight to In-N-Out. Didn't even stay for the finals, even though I, apparently I made it to the top five. No shit. Yeah. I didn't know that. I got a call from my, my coach saying, where the fuck are you? I was like, uh... That's going to be a problem, Chief. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, why? I'm like, because uh, I'm on the way back home, and I just had a lot of in and out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I came in and did what I wanted to do. He was so He's like, what the fuck? I'm like, bro, I couldn't do it. Wow. I just couldn't do it. I felt dirty as shit. Yeah, I, just, I, I wouldn't be able I to couldn't, do it. I just, 
Dude, I'm the, the kind of guy where if my out. if my nails just get a, a little bit too long, I have to cut them. I can't imagine feeling like dirty like that. Bro, it, it was a new level of dirt. Yeah, like it, I've done like tough mutters and shit where I had like dirt in my ear, my nose, like that. This felt worse. Oh, yeah. So, Maybe we should talk about some, some financial stuff. <laughs> you know. So what we got for the show today? Let's turn into a fitness podcast real quick. Yeah, this this is gonna be a really heavy real estate episode. I'm gonna be fully fully clear on that. I think a lot of people have asked Saeed and I about the rates dropping. What that means for them in the housing market. Yeah, so we've got some theories here. Uh, a lot of this will be conjecture, and a lot of this will be based on some things we think are really tangible to look at. So rather than tell you exactly 100% what we think in the beginning, we'll, we'll kind of get there towards the end. I think what's best is that we'll, t- we'll tell you all the things we know, good, bad, and ugly. Kind of give you some ideas to think about and ponder on your own, and then we'll tell you where we think at the end of the show where it's going. That being said, no one knows. No okay. one knows. No one really knows. And there's there's a, some interesting things that, that will be transpiring over the next few years that I want to actually bring up and get your opinion on oh, live. My opinion live? Yeah. As opposed to my dead opinion? Why do I want to get, I don't want to get you like ready for it. Oh, okay. I'm sure you've heard about it though. That's fine. I don't need to get pumped up and lubed up to go on stage all the time. Yeah. All right. So we'll talk about home prices in all the major U.S. cities except for one, big pivot in one. Should be no shocker if you listen to the show. We'll talk about home price growth by city as well. We'll talk a little bit about an interesting article from Newsweek titled, uh, let's see here. What the hell was it? Uh, I'm, I'm lying. Mm. Wow, I got a called Oh, end of the middle class dream. Mm. I knew the title on this one was important. Uh, which kind of dovetails into what we've been talking about on the show in previous shows where we talked about the potential loss of the middle class where you're going to have a working class and a wealthy class if we mm-hmm. continue to see things go in the direction that we're going as far as home values go. So that was an interesting article which kind of really dove down into some of the things we've been saying conceptually from a neutral third-party perspective person who I presume doesn't listen to the show or maybe does. You never know. Has to. <laughs> you know, news week, you never know. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, where the home prices are expected to go but where they are relative to today and what that means from a historical perspective with a bit of a Newsweek article again. And then we'll talk about pending home sales. So again, a lot of home sale stuff. And then we're going to get into some treasury stuff, get into some of the little bit of the, the red flag warning signs. And then we'll cap it with a recession outlook uh, from RBC, which I think was a really interesting outlook. Uh, other than, oh, then we have a review. We have a, a yeah. solid review. Written very well. Yeah, very well, very well written review. Somebody was very thoughtful. Exactly. It's almost like they asked ChatGPT to listen to the show and just make a review for the show that it, it listened to. Yeah, it, le- it left out 66% of the members. <laughs> <laughs> All right, kids. Chart of the day. Capping up uh, the beginning of the show here. Let's go with home prices are up in all major U.S. cities except for one. Should come as no surprise to you that that one is Austin, Texas. Mm, part of that Sunbelt region. Yeah, which was also the first state, uh, first city in the country to have price declines. Uh, in the last several months, and they had the most percentage decline yeah. in the last several months. So that should come as no surprise that they are the one that did not uh, kind of conclude that way. So from the article, home affordability has gotten worse in most major cities, except for Austin, Texas. Mm. Of the 50 largest real estate markets in the United States, Austin is the only city to post a decline in home prices for the 12 months ending in November, according to a report by online realtor Redfin. Yeah. In that time, home price, home sales prices in the metro Austin area dropped by 6.2%, with homes selling for a median of $424,990, which is incredibly high. 
which is right in line with the median sales price for homes across the nation. Slightly higher, but yeah. Yeah, slightly higher. Uh, the median sales price has fallen for five consecutive months, too, in Austin. So we always knew that Austin was a bit of an outlier. The charts that we can show you uh, when Arun is uh, working on the edit here. Mm -hmm. See, make it work for him even though he's not here. <laughs> uh, we'll show you a pretty interesting decline for Austin specifically, and then it'll show you the rest of the markets. But I think what's more important to note from the article, though, is that we saw as rates rose, you saw values come down a little bit in the previous months leading up to November. Mm-hmm. And that was big, big news we talked about on the show. And now you've seen rates come down and then you've seen values go back up. Yeah. Which I know a lot of people on the show are going, what, Chris, you guys thought values were going to come down and, and now they're not. Why, why are you guys talking about this? It kind of proves you're wrong. No, it doesn't. What it does show is there is a relationship with affordability that drives demand. Yes. So again, demand without affordability is not in fact demand. And what did you see when affordability got worse? Demand went down, values went down. It had zero to do with additional inventory coming online. Right. It had everything to do with the price of things getting so expensive, people could not afford to buy, so people didn't buy, and values went down. So don't let people tell you that inventory is the sole driver. Right, exactly. At the end of the day, it is an affordability crisis that we're dealing with, and we fully anticipate that when the 10 years starts to creep back up again, rates will continue to creep back up again, which will you know, keep that affordability crisis intact. But like, yeah, to Chris's point, this is the question that I've been getting nonstop. Like an example right here from one of our listeners, you hear about home prices going up when they start slashing rates next year. What's your take, buy now or wait? And what he means by that is the Fed has projected that there's going to be three interest rate cuts mm. next year. But here's, here's the problem. They've also come out and said that we're going to hold rates higher for longer. At the end of the day, I think it's going to be wait and see approach for them. If there's anything we should know is that you can't really trust what they say, okay? They've got a, a, a really well-documented history of being inaccurate. Not only inaccurate, but, like, using, you know, their platform to try to, you know, steer confidence and, and what, mm -hmm. and, you know, manage expectations. It's by right? design, yeah. It's that in, intentional. That's why they host those post-game press conferences, right? Not basketball reference, but it is a basketball reference. I get it. So, for instance, like— they initially came out and said that inflation was transitory. It wasn't, right? They initially came out two years ago and said that you can expect seven rate hikes, right, for us to be able to manage this inflation problem. That was wrong. They did 11. Yeah. Okay. Just, I mean, that that's a huge difference, not just for, you know, us consumers, but for businesses and corporations across the nation that are trying to plan for the upcoming future. You tell me that you're only going to do seven, but you do four more. That could be a difference of a, a full percentage point or maybe more, given whether you do 50 basis points or 75 basis points, right? Yeah, I think that's the biggest misconception, too. When they talk about, you know, 11 increases, 11 increases, 25 basis points is a lot different than 11 increases of multiple basis points. Yeah, exactly, right? So that that's the thing. So even though the Fed has come out and said in their minutes we project three rate cuts, you know, through this year, and the market's out there saying, no, we don't believe you. We think you're going to do six. I mean, it remains to be seen. You know, if inflation doesn't get down to where they want, I mean, core inflation core inflation's at 4%, okay? That would still double their target range. So they may still hold higher for longer. Yeah, I think there's a good possibility of that. I, you know, I, I do think that the market is being very, very bullish. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people out there in the media, in particular traditional media, really kind of touting that we've recovered, everything's good. 
I have a theory and, and a phrase I'd like to coin officially. Oh, higher, a new first, higher standard First phrase. show of the year. Okay, right? let's go. Uh, I haven't talked this through with you. I apologize. It's okay. All right, so the 1929 recession, the yes. Great Depression. If you will, yeah. Was uh, one of the most impactful economic events in American history, right? Followed a war. There's just a lot there to unpack. And uh, the, I Fed, the Fed held interest rates too high for too long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what even Ben Bernanke came out and said. My, that, man, my man Ben. Yeah. Straight gangbanging. I know. Nobel. Yeah. Laureate. Your people. My guy. Yeah. Well, then we had the Great Recession, right? I believe we are walking into something that will be known as the Great Correction. Mm. I'm also a rapper. <laughs> but I think it's true. I think uh, when you look at all the things that have happened, right, the Great Depression, the Great Recession, and now this Great Correction, if I'm, if I'm correct, uh, it, uh, it comes down to we have an overvalued market. Not only the stock market, but the real estate market. And you need to have a correction. Otherwise, you're going to wind up fundamentally changing the economics of the American population indefinitely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, asset valuations, I mean, they're they're pumped up right now. And with the amount of cash that's sitting on the sidelines, because, right, like when the, when the Fed raises their interest rates, now people are able to earn more on their treasury bills on their savings accounts, on their CDs, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, why risk putting my money into the market when I can get guaranteed 5% over here, five and a quarter, whatever, right? Now, when the Fed decides to cut rates and banks start to pull down those, you know, those interest rates that they're giving out, well, let me take that cash that I put in, put on the sideline, put it back into the market, that could pump it back up again only to cause a greater correction later. Right, and that's likely to be what I think is going to happen. We'll talk about that in the Treasury section towards the end of the articles here, but let me let me put it to you like this. I believe, so the conspiracy theorists out there would tell you that this is all by design. They want the 1% to be the wealthy class. They want everybody else working for them. Okay, fine, maybe that is. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't believe that necessarily is, is that clear and directed. I think functionally it happens, but I don't think it's this malicious intent by, you know, this mysterious group of individuals working in the background to make that happen. I just think that's the way the money plays out. And that's capitalism. And people are always going to try to rise to the top and do that on the backs of other people. Mm -hmm. But at some point, the, the consumer, the average American is going to be like, fuck this. I'm not playing this game anymore. It's too expensive to buy a home. I'm going to go rent. Fuck it. I'm not even looking anymore. And I think you're seeing that paradigm shift now already. I, I mean, again, keep in mind, real estate data is a lagging indicator. So it's six months behind. Right. So I don't think we've really seen the totality of the data that's coming out. And the fact that we've heard so much about the real estate market being overhyped as hot and progressively growing, I think is, an, is a stupid early and a cautionary red flag to me. <coughs> yeah. I think, I think that, that's, that's people getting buying into the bullish market. We talked about on previous shows what that really means. Yeah. So let's go to the Kabisi letter again, one of my favorite uh, X pages. 2023 home price growth by city. Detroit, number one, 8.1% up on the year. That one actually surprised me. Mm. Detroit was a lot of trouble. Motor City had a lot of trouble when all the yeah. automotive manufacturers left the city. San Diego did not surprise me, 7.2% positive. New York, 7% positive. Chicago, 6.9%. Miami, 67 I thought Miami would be the top of the list. Is this year-over-year year year figures? 2023 home price yeah, growth. Yeah, yeah, okay. So year-to-date. At this point in time, year-over-year, yeah. Year year, yeah. Uh, going all the way down to the lowest, number 15 on this list, I could not believe it. San Francisco up 1.6%. The what? city needs Batman, and they're still up 1.6%. Come on. 
God damn. People are shitting outside restaurants in front of Dave Chappelle. And it's still <laughs> up. I don't, I, don't, I don't see the draw anymore, man. According to Kay Schiller, the 20 largest U.S. metros rose for a ninth straight month to an all-time high. The median home price in the United States is up 4.9% since last year, the biggest jump since December of 2022. Mm-hmm. A lack of supply has been cited as the primary driver. Yeah, and for the listeners out there that don't know, the Case-Shiller Index is an index that tracks these home prices in these large metropolitan areas. There's different ones. There's, like, one for the top 20 and then mm-hmm. 50, right, and so on. Um, and, you know, this is the go-to index that people go to to track these, you know, these stats. So, you know how I mentioned a few moments ago about at some point the general U.S. consumer is going to be like, fuck this? Yeah. All right. So this is an article from Newsweek, and this is the one that I referenced being very similar sounding to our concerns about the impacts of the middle class. So you're saying that they're going to say, fuck this, like, I can't afford this, so fuck it, or fuck this, I can't time this market, I don't even want to deal with it? I think a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah. I think a little bit of both. I, th- I think a little bit of it's going to be, you can't have everybody saying, you got to buy now. Oh, my God, value's going to go up because, you know, if, you, if rates are going to go down, value's going to go up. You got to buy now because you got to buy now, rates going to go up. You're using fear. Yes. To drive people to buy at a time where they can barely afford to live. Right. And I think there's the the misconception here that I, I think is going on is people look at their home as an investment because it is for most people their largest investment. Which I get. It, which I, it, but it, it shouldn't. Fine. But it but it shouldn't be, right? No. I, like it's you should be looking at it as you in a, a utility. And we've recently put out a reel on this on on the Instagram page, right? And which I thought it did pretty well. If I, don't, I mean, you did make the real, so I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it's always a good time to buy if you can afford it, right? And that's it, and you need it, right? Yeah. So yeah. if that's the case, then you should get it because over decades it will provide you equity, equity is what you said on that episode. That's 100% something I stand by, yeah. Right, and it's like if you're buying a house to like you know get some return on your investment, there's other avenues that you can get a, a better return on your investment. But you shouldn't do it if you have to sacrifice so much of your lifestyle and your living like situation that you're not going to be happy. Right, and with with rates where they are now, like the rule of thumb used to be yeah, you should stay in your home for five years or own it for five years so you can you know get some equity back on it. Now it's looking like more like seven eight years. Yeah. So it's like you really want to get tied down to an investment like that. Like you go do something else. I just did an interesting interview with. Um... God damn it, I'm a terrible human being. I think it was Market Watch, where they had some interesting data on Gen Z, mm. the three top reasons that Gen Z was refinancing. And Gen Z is an interesting gen because I think the uh, oldest there in that age group is like 24, 26, somewhere in there. Okay. So when you think about the context of it's like anybody's 14, like that <coughs> range ish. Right. So not all of them are homeowners, not all of them work full time, but the preponderance of what they're refinancing their homes for or getting, or getting HELOCs for right now mm. is number one, to consolidate debt. Number two, home improvement, and number three, medical debt. Yeah, man. And I'm like, okay, I get the the home improvement because if you if you're lucky enough to have a house in that age demographic, you probably have a super low rate. You don't want to get another like right. you know property that's bigger, so you're just gonna you know pull out your equity, get a home equity line of credit. I get that one, but the other two are really concerning. Yeah, you gotta you gotta fix a lot of things before you do the other two. So let's let's go into this next uh, article from Newsweek, uh, the Periscope. News option, opinion, analysis, whatever section. But basically, this is the one that talks about the middle class. Okay. Uh, but about 75% of homes currently on the market are out of reach for those in the middle class, according to the National Association of Realtors. Yeah, the sense. National Association of Realtors, whose okay. job it is to sell you on this stuff, yeah. is saying that 75% of the homes on the market are out of reach. 
Because they're not making enough money, right? But goddamn. Yeah, they're not making enough money to afford current prices and or that the, the prices that they're listed for are overinflated. This is a quote. The biggest asset most people are ever going to own is a home. Nicole Bouchard, a senior economist at Zillow, told Newsweek. Home ownership is really that financial key that helps unlock stability and wealth preservation across generations. Yes. For once, I fucking agree with Zillow. Factual. Facts. No cap. Bars. All of them. All the bars. All the bars. Yes, it is. And this is why I'm wildly concerned about the middle class. But uh, we have another one. Uh, Another quote from the article. Same article. Buying a home essentially forces you into a savings plan, Danielle Hale, chief economist at Realtor.com, told Newsweek. When you pay your mortgage, you're paying down some of the debt, you're paying off the principal of the mortgage, and then you are also paying off the interest. Okay, stupid stupid <laughs> rationale, but essentially, you're getting home equity appreciation, and yes, you are paying down the principal, and that money is money you will get back upon a sale. Right, but the problem is with right now where, where interest rates are, Less of that payment every month is going towards the principal and more of it is going towards interest. Yes. Hence why I said earlier, you're going to have to stay in your home for at least seven to eight years now as opposed to the rule of thumb that used to be five years. Mm -hmm. It's true. So capping off this article, most people making a median annual salary of $75,000 a year, which is what 51% of Americans earn, can afford a home that costs about $256,000. Research from the National Association of Realtors and Realtor.com from earlier this year showed. However, the median home price in the United States is $431,000, according to the Federal Reserve economic data. Mm. Yeah. Damn, son. So uh, that's a problem. Big big problem. So to piggyback on what you said a little bit earlier on, uh, I think you said the Gen Z, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this theory going around about a silver tsunami. You heard about this? No, but it sounds sexy as fuck. It sounds sexy as fuck. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> I know. That, that's a good, like, name, right? So Sounds like a great sushi restaurant name. <laughs> seriously. <laughs> yeah, let's make that happen. Um, so 10,000 baby boomers a day are turning 65. Okay? A day. I hate these generational titles, by the way, but okay. Yeah, the titles are, are crazy. But if you think about it, it's crazy. So 10,000 baby boomers a day are turning 65. All right. But by 2030, all baby boomers, right? It's not too far away, six years from now. All baby boomers will be 65 years old. So we're talking about retirement age. Yeah. No, 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 no. See, I take a big fucking. Yes. I think this is part of the employment numbers problem, too. Mm -hmm. You used to have a retirement age that was somewhere between 65 and 70. I know a lot of people 70 plus that are in the workforce. Because they have to. They have to, number one. And number two, Human longevity is just going longer. Like right. We are all about anti-aging. We are all about long. We are all chemically enhanced. I mean, well, I mean, those of us. I mean, some of us are chemically yeah, enhanced. Yeah. You know what I mean? Chubby <laughs> it's cheeks. It's a good time. <laughs> so, uh, so. It's a good time to talk about our sponsor, Transcend Company. Dot com. Go to transcendcompany.com slash THSP. And uh, they got a 15% uh, sale. I think actually by the time you hear this, it'll still be going on. But uh, you get a 15% off of all of the. I want to say fat loss, weight loss uh, stuff that they're doing over there. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to dabble into that just yet, I mean, you can talk to the representatives over there. I've personally talked to them. They're very well-versed. They, Did you your blood they, work done, by the way? Yeah. So, no, I have it scheduled to happen at the start of the year. Oh, you had that scheduled last year. Yeah. Bro, it's been a crazy end of the year for us, okay? Like, it's been wild okay. uh, with uh, the kids just, being off gotta, from school. Uh, okay. Kids being off All from right, school. Fine. I mean, I got the kids. What am I going to do? i tell you that I'm on, I'm on uh, I, I so I, I think uh, today's, what is it, Saturday? 
Yes. So tomorrow I get my package from Transcend. I've got uh, Motsi and uh, Testa Moreland, I think is their Testa. Yeah. Did the wife get her stuff too? Yeah, it's coming in the same package as mine. She's taking a smaller dosage, but uh, she's taking the, the one I told you about earlier, which is for basically stomach fat loss yeah. and you know, appetite suppressant. And I'm taking MOTC, which is more of a metabolic enhancer. That'll kind of kick off me really just kind of getting back in shape. Yeah, a little bit. so, I mean, you can talk to the representatives over there. They're they're very knowledgeable, and they can walk you through. They're, they're not pushy at all, which is what I liked about them. Like, let's just get you started with the, some blood work to see what we're dealing with, right? So... Not a bad idea to just go over there and start that process. New year, new you. Sold that hard, huh? Gang, gang. You felt you felt like getting into it? <laughs> so so by 2030, right, you're going to have all the baby boomers going to be 65 years older. AARP, okay, came out with their own study, right? Their own survey. You're going to make me do this. I don't, <laughs> don't want to fucking do this, but you're going to make me do this. There has been nobody... I've ever known my entire life, and you already know where I'm going with this. Why do I? Why? Why do I know AARP stuff? You're the fucking guy who, when you were 15 years old, who was the only person I knew looking forward to getting an AARP card. That I need fucking that discount. I need that card in the mail, bro. You're the weirdest human being. Like I can see you at the movie theater coveting the discount for the AARP shit. Come on, dog, cut that price. That's what I would say. I get one of these, homie. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> click, click. So they said 50 percent of the people out there above that of the in their group are downsizing their homes. Yeah, because they got so much equity in the homes. Mm -hmm. The values have gone up. They can buy another home in cash, use the other cash to you know fund their lifestyle. So think about it. And you, we know that, the fact that it's 10 a.m. and I got this shit on deck right here, 74% of homeowners out there are 50 years or older. It's 1230, bro. We've been fucking around for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> right? So you think about it. Can you see a world where, look, we're walking into troubling times, potentially, and people want, need to downsize. You're saying people need to tap into their equity. Now might be the best time if they feel like we're, we're at the peak and there is going to be this correction, right, that they're going to need to sell. And could we see, you know, sometime in 2024, maybe, you know, Q3, Q4, where we have actually more sellers than buyers? So I think tapping into equity is a bad idea if done wrong. Home equity lines of credit, like, for example, what Gen Z is being forced to do, mm -hmm. could be very, very dangerous. Whereas if you're selling your home, buying another home in cash, and you happen to be lucky in that situation, that's, yeah, great. Capitalizing the market, take a little bit of higher rate right now, still better than historical average 8% mortgage rate. But you're probably going to have to move away from where you're currently at. Maybe, but I mean, there's a lot of people doing that. Like, to move out of California, for example, celebrities left and right are moving, going to like, like Las Vegas and, you know, Summerlin, stuff like that. Or Florida. I mean, there's tons of great states you can go to and get a better tax situation. Texas, another great one. So, look, I, I get it. There's a lot of people that are doing that for all sorts of reasons, whether that's just career or just choice of lifestyle or politics. But let me read you some data, and I will back into why I think this is a very dangerous kind of balance of tapping into equity. This from Business Insider, home prices to heat up after Fed rate cuts with 88% of the market overvalued. I don't give a shit what market you're talking about. When somebody says 88% of it is overvalued, yes, it's that's a problem. a problem. It's a problem. Yeah. But what makes it overvalued? That's not good. <laughs> no. But what makes it overvalued? Well, uh, people are paying more for it than it's worth, Said. Yeah, than it should be worth, yeah. right? Because at the end of the day, the market is deciding. If people are, out, if people are listing their homes and somebody's coming out to buy, then God damn it, somebody pay for it. That's the market, right? All right. So this is going to be the red flag portion of the episode, right? The projected increase in home prices would come as 88% of the metro areas in the United States housing market were overvalued as of the second quarter, according to Fitch, 
Fitch is a rating agency. They're a data aggregator. I'm a big fan of their data. Uh, so yeah, they're they're a big player. They're like Moody's or like S and P. They're they're a pretty big up the name in in the industry, and people use their data pretty frequently. So them saying this is not just you know somebody random ass saying it. This is not like you know Grant Cardone talking about the real estate market. This is somebody who actually does this shit for a living. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that's a little change from eighty nine percent a year ago and up from seventy three percent in the first quarter of last year. In addition, the margin by which homes were overvalued widened. Fitch found that homes were 9.4% overvalued in this year's second quarter, up from 7.8% at the end of 2022. Not everyone shares Fitch's price projections. For instance, Realtor.com. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah. Sees lower mortgage rates slowing demand as buyers won't feel rushed to buy before rates rise further, resulting in home price dip of 1.7% in 2024. So they're saying they don't see it? Yeah. Wow. So, I know, curveball, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I would like to point out a little fun fact. When has Realtor.com ever not been hyper-aggressive on the economy? Right. So, they've always thought values were going to go up way more than they actually did. And if they're saying a 1.7% dip in 2024... How optimistic do you think they're being? Yeah, it's probably more optimistic, right? It's going to be more, much more than that. I'm just saying, if you read between the lines, yeah, they say, oh, shit. It's their job to be optimistic. Yeah. yeah, And uh, they're not being so optimistic. They also have to deal with the National Association of Realtors getting hit with, uh, I always say realtor, it's realtor. 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 I can't ever. Cause just this, say it fast enough. There maybe, should be another just, value. Just say, just say it fast enough. Maybe they won't catch it. That's what no, I do. No, people always That's what I do. Like, especially like the real the realtors. We're angry yeah. that I talk about shit that they, they have a real personal opinion about. Yeah. They'll DM me and be like, at least I can say realtor right, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's happened at least five times this year. Yeah. And I'm always like, all right, look, you got me. Right. I throw in vowels in the words that should have them. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. So that's a thing. Something to, something to, for everyone to keep in mind. So, you know, we've been dealing with this inflation problem. And I know it sounds like, you know, we're on the tail end of this now and we're coming. It's it's manageable. They've got they've brought it down. But inflation is compounding year over year over year. Yeah. So when it was nine point one percent and then it dropped down to let's say six percent and now we're at four percent. It's not that prices of things have come down. It's they're not going up as fast. That's all that means. Yeah. Right. And so these things are adding up on top of each other. So I think what needs to happen is that this market needs to come down significantly in order for the Fed to decide to cut rates six times by the end of this year, like the market has projected. There's actually a projection out there now saying seven, by the way. ING was the leader at six. Now there's somebody else who's come out and said seven. So yeah. But so are you co-signing the great correction theory? Yes. I, I think Look I at think that. well, here, here's the thing. I think that it you needs say, to you happen. You can say you love me. It's fine. I, I do love you. Oh. I, I think that I think it's needed. I think it, it has to happen. Look, it doesn't benefit me. It doesn't benefit, you know, the, the company that I work for. It doesn't benefit me personally, right, to say that. But it's. I think that it needs to happen. Yeah, yeah I agree. Right? So. I like it when you co-sign me. It makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. From Yahoo Finance, U.S. pending home sales stuck at a 22-year low despite falling rates. Pending home sales or homes under contract to be sold is a leading indicator of the health of the housing market. There's a chart that we will place later on in the show 
somewhere in this vicinity. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Contract signings for the U.S. existing homes remained unchanged in November from the previous month, even as mortgage rates scaled back from a 23-year high. The index for pending home sales stayed at 71.6 in November. The National Association of Realtors released Thursday. The index reading was the lowest since the index founding in 20, uh, 2001. An index... Uh, Level of 100 is equal to the pace of a contract activity in 2001. Mm. The results were below the 0.9% increase that economists polled by Bloomberg had estimated. The lack of change in the index, an early indicator of the housing market's health, shows how some buyers may be hesitant to re-enter the market despite the dip in mortgage rates last month. It may also reflect seasonal trends as some buyers opt to wait until the holidays are over to return to their purchase plans. Yeah, I think that that's the big takeaway from this right now, too, is definitely there's some seasonality in play here, right? Yeah, but November numbers are out, and they seem to suggest a healthy job market. I mean, granted, that's Thanksgiving-ish. Yeah. But uh, I don't think you're going to see enough of a swing in December alone to pivot valuations back down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that that's the key takeaway from all these different indexes, right? We talked about Case Schiller earlier. And what you look at this one, the pending home sales, it kind of lets you know where people are at what in their like stance in the current market, whether they want to jump in or they don't want to jump in, or they want to jump out. That is correct. Yeah. Well, and I wouldn't really want to buy it in the holidays anyway, so I get that. Yeah. Another who wants, one from, who wants to move in the holidays? Our brother just did. Wait, he moved? Yeah, he moved to, uh, got a different apartment in a different city, went from Irvine to Mishibejo. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, they moved like literally on Christmas Day. Irvine's out of control, man. I, I'm here. I hear a lot of people that are that are what they're paying for rent out mm. here. It's insane. I know. And then they are like, "How much you pay for your mortgage?" And I'm like, seventeen hundred dollars a month. Yeah, man. I I had somebody over last night that was telling me that they pay thirty three hundred for a one bedroom. Yeah. And they said they want to move into a two bedroom, and it's like over four grand. I'm like, man. Yeah, my brother's paying thirty seven hundred dollars. For a two bedroom, two and a half bath. Mind you, my mortgage payment, including P I T I H O A, everything all in is like twenty one hundred or two thousand somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, damn. It's it's a it's a fucked up situation. That's not good. It's not good. Yeah, I oh. would I would want to get out of here asap. Ten year Treasury yield sees biggest December drop since two thousand and eight crisis. Here we go. The U S. ten year Treasury yield. Dropped 48 basis points in December. This is also what brought mortgage rates back down. Mm -hmm. It's the biggest December drop since the 2008 financial crisis and follows a 53 basis point downtrend in November. So the yield curve inversion, both the two-year and the three-month, has been a red flag indicator of a recessionary economy for years. Right. It would not seem like a stretch of logic for me that this yield curve inversion would last longer after an unprecedented 14 years of artificial interest rate deflation. If we've slowed the economy at the longest pace and the longest cadence we ever have to stretch out one of the most prosperous economic times we've ever had far beyond the average of 7 to 10 years, it makes sense that these indicators that are normally lagging these red flags that are normally symbolic would take longer to convert to 
a recessionary economy. Mm. So none of this really surprises me as taking longer and people going, oh, my God, we beat it, we beat it, we beat it. And I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, no, we didn't beat it. Yeah, It's just going to take longer to get to the other side because we walk so far in one direction, it's going to take you a long time to walk back. Yeah, that's a good analogy right there. I mean, so just to recap really quickly, the 10-year treasury, that's the most sought-after treasury of all the treasuries, right? I see what you did there. I, know, I, got, I got it. You got I'm it? I'm going to let it go. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. it. Yeah. And uh, that's the one that is you know closely tracked and follows along with where mortgage rates lie, right? Mm. So... Um, well, your earlier comments in the show, the question that somebody had, well, you know, the Fed funds going to cut rates. Yes. Is, is that, does that mean that we're going to see mortgage rates drop and then values skyrocket up? No, because the thought process there is they think that because mortgage rates will drop, people will come back out into the market and there'll be more buyers again, yeah. hence pushing up, putting upward pressure on home prices. And that's people mistaking causation and correlation. So we saw Fed funds rise, the cost for banks to borrow overnight. That pushed deposit rates up was essentially zeroed in the last 14 years because you weren't really getting paid for deposits to now, in some cases, 5% competing with treasuries. And now you've seen the shift in and out of the banking system from high yield savings accounts and money market accounts and CDs accounts into the treasuries because they were competing, right? Now treasuries have dipped. People are rushing back into CDs thinking, okay, well, if they're going to cut rates next year, guess what? That means those savings accounts are going to go down, CD rates are going to go down. So now's the best time for a CD. And I've got, Several quotes in the media you can find of me telling you that is, in fact, true. Now is your best time to buy. I'm plugging the shit out of myself. I was, was going to say, bro. damn, son. I'm not even plugging. Hey, we're going to plug yeah. these articles in the show yeah, notes. I'm on CNET. I'm on, you know, bank, go banking rates. You come find me, homie. Forbes. Yeah, I, Forbes. Yeah. Well, yeah I, I feel very weird about saying okay. Forbes. Because we've, we, we've tackled a lot of people that have made that cover. I've dudes. Yeah. yeah like, I've been like, oh, that motherfucker paid for his shit. I, <laughs> let me be clear. Okay. <laughs> I have not paid for a single article I've been quoted in, all right? Yeah, yeah. Just for anybody out there who's like, they actually people are asking me, like, hey, man, like, who's managing your PR? Me. That's who. Yeah. Oh. Who do I trust? Me. Okay. That's who. Okay, man. So, but yeah, I don't pay for any of those things. That's just me talking to uh, members of the press, and if they want to use my quote, they will, and if they don't, they don't. I would say, me, 40% of the time, they probably use it. 60% mm. of the time, they don't. And then I never know if they're going to publish an article. It's very rare someone actually sends me a link. Yeah. So I get a Google alert because my name's tracked on, you know, my Google thing, and I'll just get an alert and saying, oh, they use it. Oh, that's how you find out normally. That's how I find out. Yeah, it's usually oh, That's like, a fucked up way to find it's out. It's a fucked up way to find oh, out. It's, it's like, because there's got to be a little bit of anxiety built into that. Wait, what will happen? Well, why is my name out there? Well, and the weird, the weird part about it is, is like, depending on how strong the, the, uh, the media source is, it might get syndicated out. So like the one I did for today okay. got picked up all over the world. The one on black ink versus blue ink for celebrities got picked up. So we got picked up on like everybody else. And then it goes like foreign like pages start oh, picking you up. I'm, I'm sorry. It's weird. But sometimes that's, that, you know, that happens. Mm -hmm. And you can be on like all sorts of foreign pages. And they translate it into different languages and they use it. Or like go banking rates, which pushes to Yahoo Finance. So there's several different articles that come out. Stuff like that happens. What really weirds me out is what happened a couple of days ago is I get an alert. And it's on this page called BNN. And I'm like, all right. And I think it's like a. You're trying to make, are you trying to? When you first get it, are you trying to play with the acronyms? Like, what the fuck is this? I do that all the time. I'm like, what did BNN? What, what, let, me, let me ask you a question. What did you think BNN was? I thought it was like British News Network. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not dirty like you. I'm not thinking some nasty ass <laughs> shit, Ray. Why you gotta say nasty shit, Ray? Because I'm a nasty motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I didn't know what it was. I think it was an Indian-based news site though. But they misquoted me. Like I didn't say any of the shit they said that I said. I don't even know where they got my name. 
I didn't give that interview. They also messed up my title. Yeah. Said I was CEO. You, you didn't correct it, though. I almost said it to Scott Miller. Hey, bro, this, this is the way we're going to let you know India told you first. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I don't even know where, the, where it came from. So it's, it's weird how some of that stuff just pops up. How funny, man. Yeah, you do enough articles that, that happens. But, all right. Well, let's get back to the, to the, the uh, I want to cap this off because I think there's some really six interesting things. Mm. So from Business Insider, Recession Outlook 2024, six reasons why 2024 downturn looms. This from RBC, okay? okay. So uh, RBC, Royal Bank of Canada, by the way. Uh, but this is RBC Global Asset Management, which I think is Royal Bank of Canada Asset Management. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, they have six things that I thought were really, really good points for just all of us to think about. There's, I know there's a lot of people saying, hey, we made it. We beat all these things. I don't think so. But let me give you six points and you decide for yourself. Okay. Number one, the Fed... The Fed's rate hikes have gone high enough to trigger a downturn. The current policy is, quote, deeply in restrictive territory, end quote. And that stance may no longer be appropriate if the economy continues to slow or inflation continues to cool. So let's let's break that down a little bit. Yeah. What, what makes the current policy deeply in restrictive territory? Well, I have a lot of experience going deep Very into deep. restrictive territory. <laughs> wow, that's so good. Places you're not supposed to go. So as a connoisseur, we're going deep into restrictive. <laughs> Can't do it. Fuck. It's too easy. <laughs> it was there. God damn, that was so good. <laughs> I had to take it. You have to. <laughs> you know? So they don't want you to go, but you have to go. It's restricted. Oh, man. <laughs> so <laughs> someday people are gonna be like, you know, that show's amazing, but the dick puns are even better. <laughs> oh man. We took an unusual cadence of federal funds rate increases. Um, historically, all of the longest and widest increases we've seen, uh, going back to the 70s, actually even um, even before then, have always been consistent consecutive increases, 25 base points, 25 base points, mm -hmm. 25 base points. Or in the most um, aggressive stance, it had been 50 base points, 50 basis points, 50 basis points. So while we've seen uh, historical evidence of the Fed increasing interest rates at uh, a wider gap, so a larger set of increases over time, yeah. those increases were consistently done every single meeting. Mm -hmm. This is the first time in history we've gone 25, 25, 50, 50, 75, 75, this kind of bell curve shape we've talked about on many, many previous shows. So that has put us at a much faster clip to get to a different rate than where we started. Yes. Which was near zero anyway. Right? And also makes it very difficult for people to plan Right. When when you mm -hmm. come out and you say we're going to do seven rate hikes, but then out of nowhere you do 11. I don't care what you say. Those four those four months or those four meetings where you do, you know, increase it higher than what you initially said. That's not enough time for businesses to properly plan and make sure that they position themselves to make they can succeed. Yeah. And one of those businesses, chiefly among other businesses, is the U.S. government. Yes, exactly. And the U.S. government has been unable to cope with the strain of the additional debt load that they have to pay. Right. And, you know, these these debts, they, they renew and they adjust, yep. right, to to the current rates. And the, the big problem here for corporations across the nation is they have a lot of, let's say, they have revolving debt that's, that's adjusting that they're going to need to renew. Or they have their, you know, five-year term debt that could be adjusting in the next year to two years that they're going to have to, you know, renew. And you're like... 
they can't afford the higher debt payments. No. So that's why a big problem or a big reason why you probably haven't seen the unemployment figures spike up yet because they haven't had to face this problem yet head on. Well, I also think people have two jobs, number one. And number two, I think that people aren't retiring. So I think those two alone are swinging the numbers in and of themselves. And I also think the numbers are wrong. They're fucking just patently wrong. Yes. They've been rise down God knows how many times. Number two on this list of six things, a souring economic data suggests further weakness ahead. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's lots of data that's coming out that shows that things aren't exactly gumdrops and lollipops. Yeah. Uh, the unemployment data not moving to where the Fed needs it to go. It's mm -hmm. actually going the wrong direction right now. Yeah. Seems to suggest that if the Fed is looking at that, that we got a problem. Yeah, yeah. inflation's going the right way, mm -hmm. and it is trending down, but there are other indicators like the yield curve inversion. Yes. Which we'll get more to in a moment. The firm's recessionary score scorecard is flashing warning signals. For example, the two-year and 10-year yield curves are inverted, as well as the three-month and 10-year curves, both pointing to a recession. The scorecard also shows financial conditions and lending standards have tightened. I don't know. I know a couple bankers, you know. <laughs> you know some? I know some. Yeah, and uh, I would say lending standards have begun to tighten, whereas earlier in the year you were looking at just people deploying less cash. Mm -hmm. it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't them tightening standards as much as they just weren't lending as much, and now it's just harder to get a loan. It's harder for, like, all facets, right? Not even not just home buyers, but so businesses. This is, this is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So when these, these loans for corporations adjust, and now they're coming back to the bank having to deal with higher interest rates and tighter guidelines, they're not going to lend out, right? Nope. So it's going to be interesting to see if, do you think that, because I think 75% of, of mortgages across the nation aren't done at banks. They're yeah. done, right? Are they going to adjust? Dodd-Frank, it really shifted from banks to non-bank lenders. To yeah. non-bank, so you think like rocket mortgage, mm -hmm. right? So you're thinking, are they also going to be tightening their guidelines? Well, so that's the interesting thing about the non-bank lender space is they they really get impacted more by rate variability than they do about that because they're selling off. The, most of them aren't going to portfolio them, portfolio them and hold them on their books. They're originating them and selling them off into the secondary market. Okay. So when rates start to go the other way, it could very dramatically impact their business. That's why you saw them slow down dramatically as rates started to rise mm -hmm. because they're trying to sell off what was on their books. That's why you saw so many of them have troubles. A great example is Loan Depot. Yeah. Right. Their profit margins went to went to just garbage. So I think you're going to see them have a lot more strain in how they handle things. But a lot of them learned from the Great Recession and how they did things. Okay. They kept a lot more liquidity in hand. They had a they have a better portfolio of servicing assets, which create the create the income. And as mm -hmm. rates go up, their servicing portfolios become more valuable. So right. th there's there's a lot more mechanisms for them on the secondary market to really kind of manage their their cash flow and their balance sheet. But yeah, I think it's going to impact them dramatically too yeah right and and for the listeners that you know wonder okay well if the fed's taking a wait and see approach and new data comes out they say they're going to hold okay well maybe we need to tighten again this is the reason why you can't do that right mm -hmm. you need to provide you know stability in the markets and proper ex set proper expectations so a company like loan depot or rocket mortgage they can they understand that no we've we've reached the peak and now we can go back into the market again if they're well capitalized versus like well, we still don't know. They might raise again next month. They, it's like it could be chaos. Yeah, and until you see them actually start to cut rates, I think you're going to see a lot of speculation and a lot of things, people saying things, but a lot of companies aren't going to be prepared to move based on speculation. Yeah, exactly. They're going to, they're gonna, I mean, there's going to be some people who will gamble trying to make money on lending at the highest possible rates right now. 
Yeah, it'd be but, the first one out there, right? Yeah. But if you listen to the show and you're informed, you might be worried that rates are going to go the other way. Yes. And if they did, you deployed all your capital to lower the market rate or what could be market rate. And to your point, we just talked about, you know, the inversion of the two-year and the 10-year, right? So if if the two-year is higher than the 10-year, and in order to come out of this for a healthy economy is the two-year being lower than the 10-year, mm -hmm. there's only one way to go from there. The two-year is not going to drop lower than where the 10-year is at now. The 10-year is going to have to come up, which impacts mortgage rates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mortgage rates will have upward pressure. Mm -hmm. Number four, RBC's business cycle model indicates the economy is vulnerable to a downturn as it's currently late in the cycle. Mm. Kind of goes on uh, that whole path that we were on earlier where we talked about how you've been in a prolonged period of artificial interest rate deflation. If we're late in the cycle and you haven't seen a correction, like, I don't know, the great correction, then guess what? Uh, it says there's a probability of there being a correction because we are due for one. Yes. Keep in mind, economies are cyclical. There's sine waves. There's ups and there's downs. And typically speaking, every 7 to 10 years, there's up. And every 7 to 10 years, there's down. Right. And we haven't seen a down period. And you can't ignore 400 plus years of economic data, which suggests that this is the way things work. Right, right now, we've seen an uptrend. And everybody in the economy who's bullish, whether you're in real estate or you're on CNBC as a talking head or you're a stock market person or you're a wealth advisor, everyone in the market who's saying, no, bro, we're going to go to the moon, man. Rocket to the moon. It's amazing. Yeah. You're totally ignoring the fact, the fact that we do have down economies. Ups and downs are normal. They are healthy. Having that elasticity in the economy is what keeps things in balance, keeps life in check. Yes. Right? Imagine how amazingly massive my ego would be if every single day someone told me I was handsome and my wife wasn't there to say, no, bitch, you're okay. <laughs> yeah, you average. You know, you, you average. Yeah. You're all right for a tall guy. You know, stuff like that. Okay. You need a little bit of that. Otherwise, you're just going to be an arrogant son of a bitch. Some humbling. And I'm not really arrogant. I just play one on the radio. On the radio. Yeah, which this is not the radio. Well, fun fact. So uh, sometimes um, my in-laws will call me while I'm on the way over to the podcast. Mm. And I'll pick up. They hear that I'm driving. They go, oh, hey, how are you? I'm like, oh, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm sorry. Are you on your way to the radio thing? I'm like, yeah, I'm on my way to the radio thing. <laughs> I'm not going to correct. Like, no, it's a podcast. It's this thing that people listen to. <laughs> I can't tell you how many of my family members like think the podcast is the social media clips. They're like, I listen to every single one. And I'm like, <laughs> all, all 20 seconds. They're like, yeah, the last one that you did on home prices was amazing. I'm like, oh really? What, uh, what episode was it? I don't know. It was the one that came up on Instagram. Oh yeah. And I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's okay. Thank you. I, I appreciate you for trying. Yeah. I've tried to convert them and they just, it just doesn't, it doesn't yeah. make sense to them. Yeah. Number five, the economy is operating beyond a sustainable level, meaning that a period of subpar activity is needed to cool things down. I've heard that somewhere. Yeah. That sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Very well said. Yeah, I don't know. Believe it or not, I've actually quoted that in other articles other people. acted like it was my own. But it was my own because it sounds like us. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's very chicken egg. <laughs> not really sure where to go with that. <laughs> It's not plagiarism if I said it first. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I know that we've said it. I know. Let's go find it. Just didn't articulate it as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Number six, central banks around the world are intent on cooling inflation to pre-pandemic levels. And they will likely have to produce a period of economic weakness to curb wage growth and pricing power. So that's that's the problem, right? So the, the Fed's dual mandate, right, is to stabilize prices and to provide maximum employment. The problem that they're facing is they need to ignore the maximum employment for the time being because they need people 
to lose their jobs to bring down wage inflation, right? Mm -hmm. So people don't get paid as high for their jobs because if they keep getting paid more, then it creates, uh, what's it called? Upward pressure on inflation, right? Because people go out and they spend more, driving prices up even higher, right? So it's a very like, I don't know, it's a game of chicken that the Fed is like trying to play and they, they're they like having to tap dance for everybody. David Bach-Bach. The Bach-Bach. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've been constantly trying to figure out like what's going to be the catalyst, you know, Lehman Brothers for the Great Recession, you know, kind of the post-war situation for the Great Depression. And um, I listened to an amazing Joe Rogan episode. Let's go. You know what to do. Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan. All right, get out of the way. Um, they had a great episode with Aza and another guy, I can't remember their names. But oh, this is the one you sent me on AI. Yeah, they talked about AI. It was fantastic. And then I thought to myself, like, oh, my God, like, there it is. Really? You, you think you found the catalyst? I think I found what could be a catalyst. I don't know if it's going to be the catalyst. It could be multiple, right? It could, right? it could be a combination, a variation of a few. You're going to have a lot of people who are displaced with the capabilities of AI. Uh, maybe that's what drives job numbers down. Could be. You know, you think about a lot of the people who are employed, like in the legal profession, there's a lot of simple legal questions you can ask AI. The AI answers fucking phenomenally well. So you mean, you think that, that'll put like paralegals out of work? Not paralegals. Paralegals actually do more than attorneys do, frankly. Uh, I they're, know. They're fucking yeah, I know. I know a few. Yeah. Really great. Good. Uh, I think what it's going to do is it's going to change how much you can bill. And it's going to make people go, okay, do I want to do this anymore? Because I can't bill as much. Oh, interesting. You know, you get a lot more educated consumer coming in. But more importantly, there's a lot of jobs where people will be displaced by AI. I think right? there's going to be that trust factor, though, where people aren't going to want to go to a company that uses AI. I'd rather have an, an individual be looking at this. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I was actually having a conversation with somebody at the office that, let's just say, let's take the banking industry, for example. Okay. I thought you were going to go more of like an in and out approach, but that's fine. <laughs> in and out approach? You strike me as an in and out guy. <laughs> I am an in and out yeah. guy. Thank you for noticing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, my service stuck in the 1960s. Yeah. I was talking, I was actually talking to the professor about this. And, you know, our industry is so, is pretty old and outdated. And they're not very accepting. The industry is wildly old and outdated. And they're, they're not very accepting of new technology. No. So it's going to take a long time for them to be willing to adopt this new technology. Well, you can't. The problem is, is you can't like dump information into AI to have AI have it as a repository outside the security and controls and privacy concerns that are that are regulated for the bank. Exactly. So the best a bank can do in this particular environment, and we actually are doing this, is you can take your policies, your procedures, your HR stuff, load it onto a private server-held AI, right? Interesting. And then you can ask AI, like, is it okay to have blue hair at work? Is it okay to have exposed tattoos in the office? And then it'll answer based on the employee handbook as opposed to you having to go look at the handbook and read all this other shit. Damn. So, like, yeah. does it It has to be able to understand, so, like, updated new social norms? Well, every company has policies and procedures around these things, right? Yes. So it's going to be but able like, to is answer. it going to tell you your policies and procedures are outdated based on what's going on, like, with people around the nation? No, I don't know that it... It's contemplating going that far, actually. I don't. That's a good question. I haven't really asked. You know we I mean? we just kind of started going down this path. We've already lo we're loading the data into it now, so yeah. that it can do that. Really interesting. But I don't know that because keep in mind this has to be internal. Like it can't be accessible from the web. Yeah, exactly. So there's a whole different kind of security risk there. But we're we're testing it to see if it's good. And there's something that's proprietary in this. Our internal policies and procedures are not like anything that's proprietary. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't have any customer information and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. That that's an interesting way to test it. But I mean. 
I think AI might displace a lot of jobs. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, could be. I don't I don't see it happening as quickly as as what's being projected or like, you know, the fear mongers out there. Not right away, certainly. You know, that's why I said it could be a catalyst, not the right, catalyst. The, exactly. The the biggest one that still stands out for me that I'm really really concerned about is given depending on what the Fed does with, you know, cutting of rates and what happens with com- commercial real estate. That's what scares me with all the vacancies that are out there. That's still a major problem. Dude, there was a property in San Francisco that sold for 50% of its value. There's one in Los Angeles. These are, these are big-ass, multi-million-dollar, like $100 million-plus buildings. People are taking losses. So, yeah, sold for – then the one in L.A. sold for 50% of its value. And I'm looking at some of these commercial properties, and I'm like, damn. If some of the biggest names in the space are selling properties for 50%, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at all this going like – it's it's crazy to me to think like if if you hold commercial real estate, mm-hmm. okay, fine. If you hold office space, well, think about the rippling effects, dude. Some some of this ownership in these buildings are like pension funds. And then so somebody asked me like Chris, like why don't they just hold on to it and wait, you know, hold on to it for time? Why don't they have that? I'm like, because people don't have the, the durability. Well, they because you're you're making less money than yeah. you have to. So you're it's costing every single money to carry that thing. Yeah, because we talked about it, right? They're either their rates have adjusted or they are yeah. going to adjust, meaning their payments on it's going to go up, and they're not making enough money to make those payments. So yeah. it's like I might as well take a fifty percent haircut on it now versus a seventy five percent haircut on it in a year or two. And see, that's what concerns me is if you have these two big ass properties in San Francisco and Los Angeles in the major metropolitan areas, areas where home values are increasing. Right. Sell for fifty percent of the their their previous sell price. Now, now, where do they think the market's going? Exactly. Like, what was and how vacant were those properties that that was an economically viable exit strategy for them? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you sell it now. You take the tax loss and the write off now if you've got gains offset. I mean, I don't I don't know what the tax play is, but I I am deeply concerned about the market as well. I've seen a lot of obviously. Um, articles out there that you know companies are forcing people like back into the offices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going very well. By the way. <clears throat> that's my concern, right? That's what I, that's what I, I want to look into. Like, how many people out there are working remote jobs, right, and aren't having to come back into the office? And is the sole reason that companies, are, not the sole reason, but a big part of the reason to force people back into the office is to you know not have as much vacancy? Because you think about it, it's not just that building that gets affected. There's businesses around those those oh, yeah. buildings. There's restaurants near all of them. There's yeah. there's gyms. There's an entire ecosystem around all the office space. Yeah. When you drive up and down a freeway, if you live in a major metropolitan area, there's businesses there. Yeah. A lot of those businesses are not industrial or warehouse. A lot of them are office. Yeah. You see the names on the towers as you drive by, the mid-level high-rises as you drive by. Those are office spaces. Mm-hmm. Now, I do think you're going to see, continue to see a lot of companies, even if they make people come back in the office, they're going to go, okay, look, people out of the office why don't we move our office someplace that's cheaper? Mm-hmm. And you'll see them moving, you know, centers uh, of work to different areas, like, I don't know, like Texas or Oklahoma or Nebraska or Kansas or North Carolina. Cheaper for them to to have a property there. Cheaper cost of living what for the, the employees. Yeah, just moving from California to Texas. Are we going to need y'all to show up at the office? We're in Texas now, by the way. <laughs> I think you're going to see more of that. No shit? You yeah. think you might see more of that? Yeah. That's crazy. Well, okay, I'll start preparing, packing up my boxes. You do really well in Texas. I would? Oh, yeah. Why? What makes you say that? Texas is amazing. Why would I do well in Texas? Because I don't think you realize how oppressed California has made, like, made you. Really? Yeah. 
If we get out of California, get a text, you'd be like, God damn, I can carry a gun? I'm not doing that. That scares me. Why? That does scare me. Carrying a weapon? Yeah. When the apocalypse comes. You would? Huh? You would carry? Bro, I carry all the guns. <laughs> I carry all the guns. All the guns. <laughs> all the unnecessary shit. Glocks. <laughs> like, Glocks? All of it. Some of these yeah. are just wildly unnecessary. Like, yeah. like assault rifles is like crazy. I, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to understand. My favorite is, is, is in Texas. It's not uncommon people have like weapons in the back of their truck. Yes. Or like in their vehicle. Or like them having like a shotgun or like a handgun in their like a holster in their truck, like permanently affixed. Mm. Yeah. It's different it's different different part of the world, man. Yeah. And the crazy thing to me is, and I know this is gonna sound like it's not political, it's just my personal experience. I've seen less violence in states that have that visible of like a open carry, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. population. Like I see what see what's happening up in like, you know, some of these high end stores and malls. Mm-hmm. Would these people feel so emboldened to do that if they're like, shit, like most people got guns on them? Yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like it's desperation, right? And maybe at this time, I'm like, I'm not judging anybody who's doing it for all sorts. Of, all I'm saying is, is my my visible experience in the past has been in places where open carry and concealed carry was much more pronounced. You saw less violence. Yeah, and maybe that's a fear on both sides. Maybe it's, no, there's maybe definitely it's some know. some stats out on, out there on this. Yeah, I don't have them readily available, but I have heard them where I'm like, oh wow, that's actually maybe surprising. we should ask Arun to pull them up. Hey, Arun. Hey, oh fuck. Come on, yeah, guy. damn it. Let's get into this review. Before you do, there is a seventh warning sign that I think we should be very clear about. Uh, Jim Cramer has officially said that we have uh, the Fed hasn't actually achieved a soft landing. Has achieved. Has achieved. He has come out and said the Fed has achieved a soft landing, and I knew immediately we were fucked. That, that's what it means. Yeah, you got to you got to do the inverse. Reverse Cramer to the moon. Baby. Yeah. Inverse Cramer. We're fucked. He well, fucked fuck. us all. It's his fault. Last week he said that, and I was like in my office going, "Son of a bitch!" God damn. Well, <laughs> yeah. Good night, everybody. Pull that McKaylin out of the backpack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way to bring it full yeah. circle. <laughs> All right, let's get into this review. Uh, oh, which by the way, I, quick update for you. Mm. We're done watching Grey's Anatomy. You gave up? No, we we reached the episode. Okay, we reached the season finale of episode five of uh, season five. Okay, and that's all my wife wanted me to get to, apparently. What was so pivotal about this season finale? Uh, one of the main characters is, is no longer part of the show, like, passes away, right? But it's, like, it, it's it's hidden. You, it's hard to figure out who it is. So the, a big reason why she also wanted to end it was as it's happening, I called it before it happened. And she's like, that was supposed to be one of the best scenes. I was just watching, waiting for your reaction, and literally 10 seconds before it happened, I'm like, oh, so-and-so dies. And she's just like, it was so underwhelming for her. She's just like, fuck it. This is what happens for the rest of the show. And she just killed it. Now we're moving on to Loki. All right. You happy with that? You tell that I told you the ending before you saw it? I don't know the ending. No, don't don't, don't tell me the ending. No, 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 not Loki of Grey's Anatomy. No, you didn't tell me the ending. Yeah, that's right. Oh, <laughs> you sick bastard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This from J-Track. Solid review, by the way. Let's see if I can get through this without coughing. Uh, five stars. Clearly honest. Thank you, J-Track. The higher standard where Mind Pump meets Joe Rogan in wealth building extravaganza. Number one, long ass title. Okay. Number two, fucking great title though. Amazing yeah. title. Yeah. Respect. So here we go. Uh, let's see here. 
The Higher Standard Podcast is a phenomenal listen. I feel like that's true. Factual. Yeah. Chris Nahibi's dedication to delivering unfiltered truths about wealth building and lifestyle on a higher standard is truly commendable. Name me specifically, not you two. Just Chris Nahibi's dedication. Only your dedication. I would like to point out I've been on less PTO than the rest of them this year. <laughs> so I got you, brother. I'm dedicated. <laughs> okay. You don't know who Jay tracks the brother. Could be sister. I don't care. My brother in arms. <laughs> oh, got you. Okay. Um, let's see. Reminiscent of the insightful discussions on Mind Pump, this podcast stands out with crispy high-resolution audio, mm -hmm. offering an elevated experience. I do feel like what's classy. It is very classy. Well, we don't make direct dick jokes. We make dick puns. Yeah. And if your, mind takes, you, if your mind takes you there, that's on you. Yeah. You know. Exactly. If it appeals to your inner child, then so be it. Yeah. It's like the love child of Mind Pump and the profound conversations you'd expect on the Joe Rogan experience. I feel like that might be a little bit of an overstatement. I don't, I don't, I don't want to oversell it a little bit, but yeah. I, I mean, mean, if you want to take it yeah, there. Number one podcast in the world. First top 1% podcast in the world. Yeah. Just, we can say that, though. We can't say that. There's true, a lot of people just, out there that claim that shit that's not true. I, I actually. Bro, I, I fucking look that shit up every time. Every time. Somebody told me, it was, they're like, oh, so-and-so has a podcast now, somebody that we know, and it's great. It's amazing. They get a lot of downloads. And I'm like, oh, really? What's the name of the podcast? And I check it out. I'm like, hmm. Not top 1%, though. Bro, there's so many people who say that shit. Then I go to YouTube afterward just to cross-check it, oh. and the numbers aren't there. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Come on, now. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Chris's daily updates on Instagram are the cherry on top. Wow. Daily. Five stars for a podcast that's not just a different standard, but indeed the higher standard. Hashtag ChadGBT. <laughs> wow. So not only did this individual shit on you and Arun... <laughs> But ChatGPT did too. I got AI shitting on me now. AI is the future. What'd you do to AI? They know. You spoke to AI. This is what you did. You you let AI know. You programmed the algorithm. They know, bro. This is what you did. You went they over know. there and, and you told AI, you're like, so the Higher Standard Podcast is, is all about Chris Y'all better hope to God I never get a Wikipedia page. Because I'm going to edit the page and literally label myself your boss. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to consistently and constantly edit that page. <laughs> I'm going to label myself a Ruins Weight Loss Coach. Oh, if you get a Wikipedia page, best believe I'm gonna put on there the palazzo that you end up buying. The palazzo, he leaves a here. Yeah, yeah, I don't. That's not gonna happen. So don't worry about it. It's gonna happen. Yeah, no, it's not gonna happen. All right, Odun, you got anything else? Ooh, that's awkward. Yeah, yeah. Let that sink in. All right, you got anything? Maybe we should add the sound of him eating chips in the background from old footage. <laughs> just randomly. Just put him, yeah, put him there. The <laughs> You got anything? No, that's it. We're good. All right. Good night, everybody. Goodbye. That's awkward. Yeah. It's the first of the year. <laughs> <laughs>